The swerve, to use Judith's own term, that slipped her outside the customary course of her life derived from one of those offhand moments in which odd circumstances and amplified emotions invite an odd and overcolored response. Amusement was the presumed objective, whatever the actual result might be. It was strange, she said when she spoke of it, which was only once and much later to her friend Lucy Menke. My life had utterly settled into itself, and then this little swerve occurred. Or maybe I meant it to occur. Maybe I'd actually plotted it out in one of those corners of your brain or heart you access only in dreams. She gave Lucy Menke a look of actual bafflement. I really don't know. At the time, though, it seemed simple. Judith was renting a storage garage for some old furniture, and when, late in the transaction, she was asked her name, she gave one that was not her own, a name that in fact she hadn't thought of in years. A few hours later, Judith, who was not a loser of keys, lost a key. Prior to this so-called swerve, Judith Whitman had reached the age of 44 without serious casualty or setback. This was not mere luck. All her life, she'd constructed plans for her life sturdy enough to weather the seasons, but skeletal enough to allow for necessary modifications. Without seeming to step carefully, she'd stepped carefully. She'd built not just a formidable life, but the very one she'd wanted. At the moment, she gave a clerk in a mini-storage yard a name not her own, Judith had a successful career, a smart, socially capable daughter, and a husband who loved her. She also had two secrets. Judith held the conviction that above the more routine types of love formed, and, she believed, diluted by blood ties or economic pragmatism or even geographic proximity, there existed the kind of love that, as she once explained it to Lucy Menke, picks you up in Akron, Ohio, and sets you down in Rio de Janeiro. The Rio variation, we'll call it, Judith said. Lucy Menke remarked that she herself had most often experienced the kind of love that picked you up in Minneapolis and set you down in St. Paul. Judith believed in the Rio variation because she had herself experienced it, but only once, and that with a boy she'd thereafter abandoned and yet never quite left behind. This boy was her first secret. They'd become fully acquainted during her senior year in high school in a town of medium size on the high plains where she was living with her father and constructing those plans that would take her first off to college and then to Los Angeles to somehow help in the making of movies. The boy was a few years older than Judith, a carpenter whose pale blue eyes and mixed scent of sawdust, sweat, and alcohol could exert an insistent pull on her from ten feet. And when, at the end of their summer together, he had suggested marriage, Judith had said, Oh, yes. The answer is yes, definitely yes. She did want to marry him, only later, when she came back from college. But she hadn't come back from college. She met someone else, 
an older, urbane, tennis-playing boy enrolled in the business school, a genial and impressive boy with whom she slept in his slender twin bed, establishing in their sex and their sleep an easy, unforced synchronicity that they learned to apply to their daylight dealings as well. Although uncertain how much, or even if, she loved him, it was Judith who suggested that someone like him might want to marry someone like her. Malcolm Whitman's hair was fine and long and beautifully groomed. His wrists were thin, his smile small but playful. Is this a proposal? he said, and Judith said yes. Come to think of it, it probably was. Malcolm Whitman said, then I accede with enthusiasm. He gave her a kiss of surprising length and intensity, after which he leaned back and became again his Malcolmish self. Marriage, he said. I had no idea you were so intrepid. This was the way Malcolm Whitman spoke.